Good morning, church. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. And as we open up there, just wanted to let you know what's coming up. We have a quarterly, I don't know how many of you know this, we have a quarterly coming up in January, February, March that's on the book of Revelation. And that is a book that all of us need to understand, especially in the times in which we live. So I've talked to Sherry, or Sherry's talked to me, about the idea of getting more involved with um, the Sabbath school, um, having the lessons uh, so they're pretty clear, um, at least some of the difficult lessons, and I'm going to try and take a few of those. But I also thought it would be really cool if we could actually incorporate the book of Revelation into our next series of sermons so that we could do Sabbath school and we could also have a lot of the sermons on Revelation we could really cover in more detail, you know, this book. So we're going to close up the book of Ephesians here in December. Um, Gabriel actually has our last sermon, December 29th, and I've let him choose the topic on that. So we're going to close up the book of Ephesians today. We're just going to kind of cover this last part of Ephesians 5 and the basic summary of Ephesians 6. And then in January, beginning in January, we're going to supplement our Sabbath school quarterly with uh, the book of Revelation. We're going to start into the book of Revelation. And we may not finish the book of Revelation by the time the quarterly is finished, but we'll finish the book of Revelation. So we'll supplement the quarterly and then we'll just continue on until we finish the book of Revelation and try to try to go a little, little bit deeper into Revelation. And then we're, we're going to make available um, some studies and other materials that you can have and maybe, you know, have some uh, Q&A time as we close that up so that we can really get a handle on this book. I believe the book of Revelation is calculated to be understood better and better as we get closer and closer to the end of time. So I don't, I think that we're living in a time when the book of Revelation could be even more clear to us than it ever has been before. And primarily that's not because we're privileged or anything like that. It's because the events that are portrayed in that book, that at least the eschatological, the end time events, are being fulfilled more now than they ever were in history past. And so we can see these prophecies, these predictions actually being fulfilled more and therefore we can better understand it. So I'm looking forward to that. So I just wanted to give that announcement. Um, John and I have been gone quite a bit the last few months uh, for 10 days at a time, usually a weekend, uh, working on my father-in-law's house down in California, and we finished that uh, here this last week. Actually, we got back uh, late Thursday night, and so that's really been um, a blessing to be able to get that done. I'm really thankful for, for John's help on that and for your support as we've worked through that. Our in-laws are here. They've found a house in Dexter, and they're, that's an answer to prayer. They're actually... Uh, spent the night there, I think, for the first time just two days ago, so it was really cool. And we're thankful for that. I'll be going over there today to visit them and to pray over the house and just thank God for how he's led them. And we just need to pray for my father-in-law that he'll settle into Oregon. He's having a little time challenge with the transition from California, where John and I left there 79 degrees on Wednesday and made our way up here and watched the temperature drop as we came closer and closer until finally it was, you know, below freezing. So I get a little bit of what he's going through, just a little tiny bit. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're picking up here with verse 21, and we're just going to read, and I'll just share with you some thoughts as we go through this. We'll just make it very practical, as practical as possible um, to understand. Ephesians 5, it's 
the context of this, you got to understand, has been talking about the plan of salvation. In Ephesians 1, Paul described for us that all of us have been predestined or selected to be saved in Jesus Christ. And that means every single person on planet Earth. There's no special category of people that God has. Even when God chose the Jews in the Old Testament, he chose them as a type, if you will, of the work he wanted for all of the Gentiles and all of the world. So God didn't choose the most favorable people. The Bible tells us in, in the Old Testament that God chose the, the most stubborn people. He chose the hardest people to work with when he chose the, the, the Jewish nation, the Hebrews. Um, they had a lot of issues, a lot of struggles that all of us can relate to. And when we read the Old Testament, we read about you know, some of the, the, the difficulties and the challenges that they had as individuals. We read about Solomon, we read about David, we read about Saul, we read about all of these different characters, and we can relate to that. They're, they were humans just like us. And so God chose this nation as a type of what he can do in any, in any human being in any heart. And so Paul reminds us of that. you got to excuse me for having my little glasses here. I forgot my other glasses, and these are the only ones I have. Um, and they just kind of fit on the end of my nose, and sometimes they stay and sometimes they don't. Yeah, I'll borrow your glasses, John. That'd be, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, those are my backup glasses, and Jeff and Julie got them for me as a gift, and I have them in my car for when I forget my glasses, but John and Cedric have both helped me out on these occasions. So Paul is, is beginning Ephesians with this, with this predestination. You've been gifted salvation in Jesus. Then in chapter two, he tells us how salvation works. He says, basically, you're saved by grace. When you are in, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, when you have no hope and there was no way of you getting out of that, when you came to the bottom of the barrel, God saves you in Jesus Christ. And he saved you by grace through faith, not of your, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's, it's not of your works. It's his work of grace in you. And it leads you to good works. It leads to a change in your life and in your heart. You start living for Jesus because of everything he's done for you. But you can't actually earn your salvation through doing that. Salvation is always and ever will be a gift. And then in chapter three, he closes up by talking about the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of God's love. And he just says, we just need to be in awe of the love that God has for us and we just need to fall on our knees and just and just bask in that love and it'll transform us. And basically that's the first half of the book. And then the second half of Ephesians starts talking about the practical outworking of everything God has done for us by grace. How it impacts our lives in our community, in our church, and in our relationships in our families, husbands and wives and children, and then in the workplace. And we're on the husbands and wives and children part in Ephesians chapter 5. So every single time Paul gets practical with this grace and this love of, of Christ, he always goes back to Jesus. Just like Jason did here, he said, did you notice the theme in our songs here? They're all about Jesus. And Paul always does that. In Ephesians chapter 5, for example, he's talking about husbands and wives submitting to each other. He says in verse 22, or verse 21, do it in the fear of God. And then he says, wives submit, verse 22, yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. He's always going back to Jesus. He's always going back to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, even as Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Now, I love that because when we take these verses out of that context, sometimes we come 
up with a submission of a wife to a husband that is totally different from what God is intending here. From what Paul is intending is he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, look at the way Christ and God work. Look at the way that interaction takes place. Look at the way they relate to one another and use that as, a, as an outline, as, as a template, if you will, a pattern for the way a husband and wife should relate to each other. There, there's something that's taking place here in the concept of these verses that is, in a sense, a, an illustration of the plan of salvation and how it works. He goes on here in verse 24, he says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In everything, wives should be subject to their husbands as the church is to Christ. Well, how is the church subject to Christ? Well, there's a lot of grace There's a lot of mercy, there's a lot of love that causes a church, this church body, to be subject to Christ. And that's how a wife is to be subject to her husband. He goes on here, he says, Husbands, verse 25, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now I love this because this identifies for us the way that husbands are to love their wives. Christ has given himself for the church, and a husband is called to give himself for his wife. What that means basically is that when I grew up, you know, I I grew up in in an environment where I felt deprived of a lot of things. We were poor when we moved to the United States. We were on welfare for a lot of years, and we didn't have a lot of stuff. And I remember coming out of that as a young man who always had a, a pretty strong work ethic. I, I was um, delivered milk when I lived in England. Now I came here. I started delivering papers, doing paper routes. I started learning how to paint, and I would in the summertime I worked painting or I'd work on a farm baling hay or driving wheat truck and I wanted stuff and my whole focus in my life as a young man was to accumulate things so by the time I was 18 19 20 years old I had a couple of cars I had a motorcycle I had my own place but I rented out rooms to my roommates and I was just accumulating stuff and it was all about me it was all for me it was all my stuff and it was Life for me centered around how I could work to gain money to take care of the things that I wanted. When I became a Christian, providentially, God led me to let go of all that stuff. I got let go of my cars, my motorcycle. Well, actually, I got in a motorcycle accident. It was totaled, and so I lost that. The house, I was going to buy it. I woke up one morning, and there was a sign, a repossession notice on the door, so that went by the wayside. Everything went, and I found myself with no material possessions, living in a camper trailer. That's the kind of camper you put on the back of a truck, and being happier than I'd ever been in my entire life. So in that whole process of God changing me and bringing me to a place where, you know, he was going to build a new foundation, I found myself in a few years falling in love with a young lady that all of you probably know. She's among us. And dedicating my life not to taking care of my needs per se, but to taking care of her needs. 
providing for her, working and bringing money in so that she could have a home and she could have food and she could buy clothes and she could take. And by the way, as I did that for her, she also did that for us. So so everything that I was providing for my wife, she was also using to provide for our home and to, to develop and build the home and take care of the things that we needed. And there was this mutual interaction that was taking place as I worked to provide for and nourish for her, and she turned around and worked to provide for and nourish for me and then for our children and even for our pets as time went on. And, and it was just this circle of beneficence, and I think that's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. He's talking about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the son came to glorify the father and give back to the father. And the Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. And they have this circle of beneficence where they're all giving to each other in order to nurture and build up one another. And there's just this give and take, give and take, give and take that takes place within the Godhead. And he's saying that's the way I've actually structured the church and the family. The family unit is not about individuals who do everything for themselves, but they live, they have this vision, they have this focus of living for other people. And the the family structure, the home structure, the husband and the wife and the children and that whole structure is completely biblical. Ephesians chapter 5 is telling us not only is it biblical, but but the whole structure is kind of like a, a revelation of God's plan of salvation. The giving to others and the living for others is a revelation of God's plan of salvation. And so it's in this context that Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's not in a selfish context. It's not in a, I want you to do this and this is the way I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in charge here and I'm going to run everything. It's not in that kind of a context. The context of that submission one to another is in the context of this glorious experience of other-centered love and other-centered giving. Each one living for and giving to the other. Now, some of that ends up looking like the man's in charge. I mean, as soon as I got married to Risi, she lost her last name. Like, she had to have my name. <laughs> What's the deal with that? But, you know, as soon as I became, as soon as I gave my heart to the Lord, I started identifying myself as a Christian. I took on a, a name that I hadn't had before. And so we see that, you know, Risi was happy to have my name. It kind of went better with her first name, Reese Rafferty. Oh, that kind of worked a little, you know, whatever. But, but the point is this, is that her motivation for doing that is that she's in love with me. And, and we see this taking place here in Ephesians chapter 5, that, that God keeps going back to the, the, the plan of salvation as he relates it to marriage. And I think the only way marriage can work, powerfully work and, and impact not only us, but our society, is as we, as, as we relate to one another in relationship to the plan of salvation and the way God loves us. Paul goes on here and he says that the reasons why he wants husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it is that they might, that is that because he wants a church that is sanctified and cleansed with the washing of the water by the word. He wants to present, verse 27, he wants to present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. 
And there's no way you can get out of that, guys. I mean, John and I have been on the road for the last five months, you know, 10 days at a time over and over again. And we realized how difficult it is to be working 10 to 15 hours a day and providing for ourselves the food and the nourishment that we need without Reese being there. Now, Reese would come and join us on the weekends. And when she came, it was like, praise the Lord. We're going to have food and we're going to have someone who cares about us eating at a regular basis because this guy right here, this John guy, is just like a beast when it comes to working, working. I said, are we going to eat, John? I mean, because like I'm running out of energy. Yeah, we'll eat in a minute. Let me just finish this one thing. Let me just get this other thing done. Let me just get one more thing done. And Reese would call me at 11 o'clock in the morning and say, have you eaten breakfast yet? And I said, no, not yet. There's there's a, 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 a tendency in the woman to want to provide for, but there's a tendency in the man to want to provide for. And I, and even this morning as we woke up late, because getting home at three in the morning, it takes a little while to recoup from that. And so I had such a good night's sleep, but I woke up late and I'm like, I'm getting to church because prayer meeting is where it's at, right? That nine o'clock prayer meeting is just it for me. And Reese says, you need to eat. I said, I don't think I'll have time to eat. And she goes down before she does anything else and she fixes me some food and I'm eating it and out the door. Well, I wouldn't have eaten anything if Reese wouldn't have been there. There's, there's this part of of the home and of the life that each one of us has given this. I'm just going to use the word. Maybe it's, maybe it's not a political error. There's a role that God has given to us as a man and given to us as a woman. There's a role. There's a place that God has for us. And that's being messed up right now. It's being confused. It's being, you know, lost sight of in the world. But in the church, in the Bible, that role is vital. It's really important. Behind every good man is a good woman. And what the woman does and what the woman provides and how the woman gives is vital for the man. And we know that. John and I have experienced that. You know that. Men know that. We need each other in this whole picture. And and God says, and that's how it is with the plan of salvation. You've got the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Holy Spirit, and each one has a vital role to play, and each one plays their part. And one doesn't do what the other one does, but each one respects and loves what the other one does and supports what the other one does, and that's how it works in the home. For no man, verse 29, ever hates his own flesh, but he nourishes it, he cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, verse 30, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We are privileged to reveal the mystery of the plan of salvation of Christ and the church. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and see that the that she reverence her husband. In particular. So Paul here is talking about love and then that word reverence. Actually, in some translations, it's respect. It's the same word that is used in a lot of different places in relationship to God, like Fear God and give glory to him. That word fear is the same word here. Reverence, revere, be in awe of respect. And there's nothing that men crave, nothing that men need as much, I don't think, at least in my own experience, as respect. 
We, 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 we long for that, for that place in society, for that place in our home, for that place in, in the eyes of that woman that we've dedicated our life to, that we live for, that we work for, that we provide for. We long for that respect, that respect as leaders of the home, that respect as decision makers, as those that have wisdom. And there's nothing I think that is more needed for, for the wife, for the woman, as that love. That nurturing, giving, providing for love. And I think Satan's coming in. He wants to mess this all up. He wants to switch this all out. He wants to confuse all those roles and, and the basic foundation that God is giving here, which I think this foundation of the home is also a foundation for the church and it's also a foundation for society. It helps us to build in a way that is in harmony with the whole plan of salvation. And God has done that. God himself has put himself in a place where the Father has a role and the Son has a role and the Holy Spirit has a role. And they, and they, and they thrive. They, they love to be doing the very things that God has called them to do and the angels of heaven also. They are made for that in a sense and we are made for our roles in a sense. And God longs for us to fill those roles. Let's move into Ephesians chapter 6. And just roll through this. It, it really kind of flows out. Children now, it's going from parents to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And again, it's in the Lord. Don't just obey your parents. Just don't, don't just do whatever they say at their whim, but do it in the Lord. And sometimes there might be parents that don't have children. Excuse me, there might be children that don't have parents that are in the Lord. And sometimes children may need to do something that the Lord is calling them to do that the parents don't want them to do. Children sometimes may have to take a stand for the Lord that is different from what their parents want them to do. That's why it's so important to say, in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with what? The promise. What is the promise of that commandment? That your days may be long upon the earth. That's what verse 3 says. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And ye fathers, here it is, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It can be difficult, it can be challenging. To not provoke our children to wrath. But nurture them and admonish them. As they get older, you know, and as, as we have these conflicts and these personality clashes, it's really important to continue, parents, to nurture and admonish your children in the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 5 to move into work relationships. Servants, be obedient to them who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as under Christ. Again, as under Christ, as under Christ. If you've ever been in a situation, I have many times, where you're working and you don't appreciate, you don't respect, you, you can hardly stand your boss, the person that you're working for. Paul is giving you a way out. He's saying everything you do, do it as though you were doing it to Christ. You're working for Christ. He's your boss. He's the person that you're seeking to please. And so do that job as though you're doing it in service for Christ. That's the answer for the Christian. Live and work 
and interact in the workplace as though you're working for Christ. Not with eye service, verse 6, as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Oh, the boss is here. Quick. Act as though you're working. Get everything together. Do what you're supposed to be doing. He's gone. All right. Relax. We're good. Now, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. No, God is the one we're seeking to honor. Don't just try to please the eyes when the boss is around, you act a certain way. And when he's gone, you act a different way. There's nothing so gratifying as doing work as unto God. As doing a job well because God is watching. And, and it, is, it can be painful sometimes. It can be difficult sometimes. When John and I were finishing up the house here this last week, I was doing the flooring and, and I got to a place in the in the uh, cabinets, I got to a place in the fridge where there was these little pieces, you know, just this little, you know, half inch, three quarter inch legs coming out. And I had to cut around those, cut around those. And I'm on the last lap of flooring that's going down this way. And so I've got to cut to width. I've got to cut to length. And then I've got to cut a notch out of that length, two notches out, but one notch, two notches. And I got to the first notch. And I got it really close. I mean, really close. Like within a quarter of an inch. And then I got to the, I got to the second notch. And because I'd gotten good practice on the first notch, the second notch was a lot closer. I mean, it was so snug. It just like went poof, like right in there. I'm like, yes, that first notch doesn't look so good, but that second notch looks great. And then the boss comes by. You got to understand that, that I'm actually in, charge of the discipleship ministry, but when we go to work on a job, construction job, John becomes the boss, and I'm the guy that's kind of helping him do stuff. And he says, as quick as a whip, that's not going to work for me. I'm not going to be able to cover that up. I'm like, okay, fine, you know, it's not going to be covered up. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my mind, and I'm realizing, ah, just redo it. It's going to be a hassle, but you've got some extra flooring here. Just redo it. But i got to pull up all that stuff. You know, you got to pull it all up, pull it all up, pull it all up. And sometimes you put it in, and that's you got it in there, and it's snug, and it's perfect. You don't want to pull it up. So I pull it all up, and I go, and I cut out that next joint, or that redo that piece, throw that piece away, redo that piece. And I'm just like, I'm just like really just working it, working it, working it. And finally, boom, it goes in there. And it's better than the other one was. You know, the other one was really good. And this one's just so snug, it can barely go in there. I'm like, John, I fixed that. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, regardless of, of the person who, the thing that really matters is God, that you have pleased the Lord. And by the way, John told me several times, you did a good job on this floor. You did a good job on this floor. You did a good job on this floor. And that was really encouraging. But let's just say you have someone that's not like John, that's not going to be, you know, full of accolades and positive and supportive. They're just kind of kind of expect it and that's it. Let's just say you have a person that's not giving, but you're still working for God. You're still, you're still getting that praise and that sense of accomplishment because you've been working for God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, you know, if you want to get through the rough parts of life, if you want to get through the difficult times in the workplace, you've got to do things as though you're working for God because then you're going to sense this feeling of accomplishment and this feeling of satisfaction because you know you've done a good job for God. 
with good doing, good service, verse 7, as to the Lord and not to men. Do it as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that what whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And that's just beautiful to me. In other words, you may not receive reward from men in this earth at this time, but you will receive reward from God. He notices everything you do, and he will reward you for every action, every effort, every extra piece of effort that you've done. He's going to reward you for that. God is going to do that, and he will do that. He promises to do that. And you masters, you bosses, do the same thing unto them. Forbearing, threatening. Don't don't be threatening. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect to persons with him. Don't threaten love. Follow the principles, good principles, in, the, in how you relate to the people that you work with. Nurture them, encourage them. Teach them, instruct them, build them up. Teach people how to work. A lot of us here have experience in working and building and mechanics in, in a whole slew of areas. We have experience. And the Bible tells us, whether we're men or women, the Bible tells us as people with experience, we should be passing that knowledge on to others, especially young people. Young people today naturally tend to want to get on their phone and they want to Google and they want to watch videos and they just want to relax and watch these movies. But but we have a wealth of experience and knowledge that we can pass on to them. We can teach them the things that we've learned about cooking, about building. We can teach them the things we've learned about the world, about science and politics and and how things operate. We can teach. We can pass that on. And we don't have to just pass that on to our kids, to our grandkids, to the ones that are our flesh and blood. We can pass it on to anyone and everyone around us. But we need to do it patiently and wisely so that we can gather their interests, so that we can nurture their desire to want to learn these things that we've learned in life. So masters, do the same thing. Work as unto God and pass on the things that you've learned in life to to others around you. Teach them patiently how to accomplish different things. I've learned a lot from John in these last few months about how to and how not to and what to and what not to do. And it's been a good experience. I feel confident. I feel more confident about building and doing certain things than I did five months ago. Hey, I think I could do this. Hey, I think I could do that. And that's the kind of thing we want to instill in other people around us. We want to instill in them confidence. We want to build them up. We want to go back to the days when, you know, education took place with apprentices and being able to instruct and teach other people how to, the things that we've learned without having them having to go to school and spend thousands and thousands of dollars to learn these things. Finally, my brethren, this is, he's just closing up right here. And, and basically what he's going to do in these last uh, verses, 10 through 24, these last 14 verses, is he's going to go back to the, to the basic principles that he established in the beginning of the book. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But remember, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not, this is not about humans. This is not about in-laws, outlaws, people around us, in the church, in the community. This is not about humans. 
We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, part of the powers that we're wrestling against are the powers of the fallen nature that are within within us, our fallen human nature. The principalities and powers that have been strengthening in all of our lives, that, that strengthen towards selfishness. And then those principalities and powers all around us. And therefore... It's important for us, verse 13, to take unto us the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all that we can do to stand. Stand therefore, verse 14. Having your loins girt about with the truth. So you've got this belt of truth around you. And then it says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. So you've got the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's covering you. And then you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In everything you're doing, your whole focus is to be a peacemaker, a peacemaker, a peacemaker through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You need that protective shield of faith. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see this, this armor that God is giving us? The helmet of salvation in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus, the shield of faith, the Word of God, the gospel of peace, the truth. And then it goes on in verse 18 to say, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Oh, we need prayer. John and I, when we went down, we were hauling a U-Haul trailer full of cabinets down to California this last time. We got the cabinets done here at Cortland because they do such a good job and they have such good prices. And so we we rented a U-Haul and we went down. and, And before we got to California, the truck that we were driving, which was my truck that has 240,000 miles on it, started making funny noises. And we got really nervous. We pulled over and we started backing up. and You know, and we're thinking, oh, what is that? Now, I had a suspicion it might have been the U-joint because when I was putting my truck in reverse some months before, it would make that noise, something like that. And someone said, hey, that might be the U-joint. Anyway, we pulled into this service station. The guy was so nice. It was a truck service station. And he went under there and he greased that U-joint for us. And I don't know if he was going to empty out that whole thing. He put a lot of grease in it, right, John? And and the noise kind of went away. And we kind of limped down to California. And it was kind of gone. And we drove around and did all the things we had to do and returned the U-Haul trailer. But but this was our last trip. And so we had to we had to haul John's trailer back up. And his trailer was full of tools, heavy tools. So we had to haul that back up. And we were thinking, man, we should... But we were busy. And so we never did do anything with the truck. And we just... We, so we started driving back up, and, and, and now it's starting to vibrate. Before we got the trailer on, it was starting to vibrate a little bit as it would accelerate, the truck was. And so we could feel that vibration. I said, John, do you feel that? He says, I feel that. And we're driving home, and we didn't get out of there till noon, and so it's a 15-hour drive with the trailer. So we're thinking, we're getting home at 3 in the morning with this truck kind of vibrating, and we're driving, and we're just hoping. And, and and John said to me when I got back, and he said, I said to him, when I, I said, John, I was praying that whole way. He said, I was too. We were just praying, praying, praying. And to me, it was a miracle that we got back because the next day, that was yesterday, I took that truck in to get it serviced, and I couldn't hardly get it above 25 miles an hour. It was just shaking, just vibrating. And I told the guys there, I said, I'm pretty sure it's the U-joints. And if those U-joints go out, that drive line, it can do... 
it can wreak havoc and you can you get in a bad accident it can do a lot of a lot of different things there's something about life Paul is saying there's something about the things that we're wrestling with and things that we struggle with that should cause us to just be praying always with all prayer and supplication. Don't be overwhelmed by the things that are coming at you. Just pray, pray, pray. And you don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to be in a position to pray. You can just pray. You just lift up your heart to God and you can pray without ceasing. And he says, and I want you to pray for me. And this is just a personal request. I want you to pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Just to be able to communicate the gospel. For which I am ambassador in the bonds, he's in prison, and I, and that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, sometimes we can be overwhelmed, can't we? I'm speaking now about all of us. It can be overwhelming for us to speak boldly about the gospel. Especially when we come into situations where we meet with people that don't treat us Christ quite right. And, you know, it can be hard for us to respond in a Christ-like way. That's speaking boldly. You don't have to say, I'm a great, da, da. you can just, speaking boldly can be gracious, being gracious. When people are mean to you, being nice. That can be bold. That can be really bold. You know, giving that tip to that waitress or waiter that didn't, Treats you very nicely when you were getting that meal. That can be a bold statement. Letting that driver pull in front of you, even though they cut you off or you felt like they were on their cell phone. And I can't even tell you. It seems like every other driver in California is on their cell phone. You're driving down the freeway at 70 miles an hour. There's, you know, it's like they're on their cell phone. Every time we see something funny taking place, we pass it. Yep, they're on their cell phone. People just pull crossing two lanes right in front of us. She's on her cell phone. He's on his cell phone. It's everywhere. Accidents are everywhere. Being gracious through all of that. That you can speak boldly. But that which he also, but that he also may know my affairs and how I do. Titicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Now, I don't want to pass over these verses lightly. John, Paul is saying here, basically, I'm going to tell you everything that's going on in my life. I'm going to tell you. Sometimes we just want to keep everything a secret. We don't want anyone to know and understand. But let me just share with you a basic fact. We are dysfunctional at best. All of us are. We're dysfunctional in our families. We're dysfunctional in our church. We're dysfunctional in our workplace. We're dysfunctional in ministry. And the, the basic problem with being dysfunctional is the natural inclination we have to cover that up with fig leaves, to pretend we're not, or to not let anyone know that we are. There's nothing wrong with dysfunction as long as you're willing to admit it. I'm wretched and miserable, thinking I'm increased with goods and thinking I have need of nothing. If you could admit that you're wretched, if you could admit you're dysfunctional, you are on the right road. And then God works through that dysfunction and he, he cures us from that dysfunction. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows what we're going through. But to think we can go that route alone, we need other people to know about our dysfunction so they can pray for us and with us. And also they can be benefited because if other people see you being able to deal with that dysfunction, be able to talk about this dysfunction and be able to ask for help with this dysfunction, maybe it'll open them up so they can also be 
honest and open about their dysfunction and seek for help. Because as a body, we need one another as we work through this dysfunction. So Paul says, I'm going to tell you everything about what's going on, all of my affairs. Titus is going to fill you in in the details. I don't want to put it in this letter because there's more important things. But we need to talk about some of this stuff so that we can pray for one another. And then he says, verse 23, Peace be to the brethren and love and faith from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And that closes our our letter to the Ephesians. Chock full of the wisdom that God channeled through Paul in his own experience, in his own relationships. The wisdom that he had as he started nearing the end of his life that he wanted to share with others. The wisdom, inspired wisdom, that speaks to us to this day and directs our lives and our hearts to him. What a blessing. What a powerful blessing this letter has been for us as a church. I pray it's been a blessing for you. And as we close it up, think about the lessons it holds. If you've missed some of the sermons, you can you can find them. We've got them on our website. Most of them, there's a few of them we missed. We've got them on our website. You can go back and you can listen to some of those. And then please pray for us as a church as we move into this next quarter, as we start into the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is not any different than the book of Ephesians. Really, it's not. It's all about the gospel, and it's all about how that gospel works out in our practical lives when we, when we take a hold of the love of God and then how we live that love in relationship to the world and how we encounter opposition. The book of Revelation shows us the opposition that we're going to encounter and the form it's going to come in, especially in the end of time. And it prepares us to be able to get through all of that by following the Lamb wherever He goes. That's the bottom line of the book of Revelations, to follow Jesus wherever He goes. As Jason was sharing earlier, there's a theme in all this music, and there's a theme throughout the Word of God, and that is the Lamb, following the Lamb. You're not following me, I'm not following you, but we're following Jesus. Amen? Amen.